The views and opinions expressed by hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the views of the Global Liberty Alliance, its network, sponsors, donors, or broadcast platforms. The Global Liberty Alliance provides this podcast for informational purposes. Freedom of speech is a fundamental right and essential for free societies to prosper. Thank you for listening and supporting the mission of the Global Liberty Alliance, dedicated to strengthening and defending fundamental individual rights, free markets, and the rule of law. And welcome to another edition of the Global Liberty Alliance podcast coming to you from Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia, right across the river from Washington, D.C., where the federal government is housed and the the group of people that we battle daily for for friends and colleagues. Um, We're happy we're over here in the Commonwealth. And today we are joined by a very special guest uh, who is not in Virginia. She's all the way in Guatemala, uh, Betty Marroquin. She is a former uh, vice presidential candidate. She is a businesswoman. She is a liberty warrior and, of course, a former diplomat, which we'll talk a little bit about later. But Betty has a a lot to share with us today. Betty, how are you doing? Hi, Jason. Uh, Good to talk to you. Thank you so much for this invitation to do this podcast. Um, I'm well. Currently, uh, very worried about my country and uh, what's going on here, but, you know, and also worried about what's going on in the U.S. because our lives are intertwined, our countries, whatever happens in the, in the U.S. has repercussions here. So, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah you're, in fact, we're going to talk a lot time. about that. We're going to talk a lot about that today because I know you spent some time in Washington, D.C., and, and you, you have some unique perspectives on that, and you're right, uh, U.S., uh, our, our two nations are connected. I mean, we not only focus on protecting our citizens, we're there, uh, there are thousands of Americans living in Guatemala, mm-hmm. uh, but we're also joined in a battle to defend our homelands, our respective homelands. We're combating transnational criminal organization, gangs, uh, but also doing the good stuff that we never talk about, like business, uh, travel, even though right now maybe travel's a little bit harder because of uh, COVID. But um, I remember when I first went to Guatemala, I went as a little boy, and uh, last time I was there was about 10 years ago. I went to uh, Sacapa. I was there for about a week and I got to see a lot of Guatemala that I had not seen before. It's a beautiful place. I think people should go visit. There's a lot of good things happening. But today we're going to talk about a few challenges. And, and one of the things that uh, Betty and I have been talking about for a long time is the rule of law and the importance about the rule of law. And there's some things happening in Guatemala that as an American Anyone listening to this, remember, our taxpayer dollars go down there and are used for a variety of programs. And Betty today is going to share with us, uh, uh, for starters, what U.S. taxpayer dollars are being used for, maybe what they are not should be used for and what they are not being used for, but also the importance about rule of law and certain things that have been happening in Guatemala for the last eight to 10 years that I think all Americans have to listen to. Betty, can you share some of that with us? Sure. Um, happy to. Thank you, Jason. Well, to begin with, I think Americans should understand that Guatemala is a republic. It's based on republican principles. That means we have a separation of powers. There's only three powers, not four. 
And um, it, is, it, is a, it is stated as such in order to have checks and balances, to have accountability, to have a, a, a democracy, a stronger democracy. So our, our base, our legal base is solid. We have a pretty decent constitution. There is no such a thing as a perfect constitution in, in the world because it's all man-made and it's all fallible. They're all fallible, but ours is pretty decent. And uh, so we have a nice base to build on. Uh, having said that, I would also like to add, because it has something to do with it, that Guatemala is a, is a very, the majority of Guatemalans, the vast majority, uh, is a conservative nation. We are a country uh, that uh, cherishes family values. We're a country that, whether it is an indigenous community, Shinka, uh, Garifuna, or, 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 or whites, or Jewish, or Muslim, because we have everything here huge Chinese community as well, um, and now Russian. We, we're a country based on family values. Uh, that means in our constitution, life is preserved from, from conception and family is based on marriage between a man and a woman. So in, in, for us, it has to do with the, with the republic uh, setup of our country because in the past 10 years, we've been under heavy attack by uh, globalist and uh, progress, uh, progressive groups. Uh, Open Society Foundation from George Soros, for instance, has uh, been operating in Guatemala for the past over 15 years, uh, setting up the terrain and whatnot, and now very openly and strongly promoting um, all the LGBTQ agenda trying to reform our constitution in order to impose and change those concepts that I was talking about. Right. And, and, um, and that, Betty, you know, I think it's important right there. And I want to interrupt you one second. Uh, it's important for our listeners to also know, and Betty's uh, laid this out perfectly because it's a, a constitutional republic. It's a try, you know, it's like our system of, you know, we have three, they have three branches of government and that institutional system is under attack. And why is that important for you to all realize is that that country, Guatemala, had a almost three decade long civil war. And 36 years. Yeah, mm -hmm. and the country was, although, and by the way, folks, it ended in 1996. This is not ancient history. This happened fairly recently. So what Betty's talking about, this attack they're under from a, a, a globalist agenda, is it's as if they never had a break because this has been going on for a long time. Uh, they fought their civil war. Uh, it was a, a difficult period in their history. In fact, some people would argue, and I don't know, but if you would agree with this or not, but they're still in the, the transitional justice uh, process uh, that came after that was not the best one. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't the best one. But you have your country, you have your constitution, you're trying to rebuild your nation, you've, you've rebuilt your nation, you have trade, you, you have a free trade agreement with America. And then you have these outside organizations that go in there to try and tell you what to do and undermine your sovereignty. And I think it's important for folks to understand that what Betty's talking about goes to the very heart of a, of a nation. Imagine if somebody came here to Virginia and tried to tell the Virginia Supreme Court what to do or the Virginia legislature what to do or tell our Congress what to do. And I think it's a country that was healing that came out of the Civil War spent some time during the Cold War rebuilding, now they have to tackle this new demon. And, and, and that's what Bade's gonna uh, share with us right now. Well, thank you, Jason. And 
In fact, what happened was that at the same time as, as the war was ending in, 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 in Guatemala, there was also uh, the fall of, of communism, of all the communist attempts in the world except for Cuba. So the International Socialists uh, created the Foro de Sao Paulo, um, and at the time, only Cuba was present as an official government. The rest were all political parties from all, of, all over the hemisphere. That's right. That was 2002. In 2002, they started setting up the base, the base, the, the, the roadmap to uh, how to take over power without, uh, without using guns in the highlands. So tell, they tell, our, tell our listeners, Betty, what is, uh, so the listeners know, what is the Foro of Sao Paulo? We've talked a lot Foro, about it. Yes, Foro of Sao Paulo was created by the, by the Cubans uh, along with, alongside uh, Hugo Chavez, um, and it joined all of the, of the communist and socialist political parties of the hemisphere. Now it includes, to this day, it includes Europe, Asia, and it's worldwide. Um, but basically, it was created for the Latin American continent. Um, there's members from the Democratic Party in the U.S. that are that are friends with the Foro of Sao Paulo. I'm I'm not sure if they have officially joined, but they're friends with them, like the Clintons, for example. But wow! Anyway, so, so so the Clint, so the Clinton folks and the was the Clinton Foundation very active down there with the Foro in in Guatemala. Not not directly with the Foro, but but implementing the recommendations from the forum. Right. right. And, and, and for okay. our listeners, so, so, so those who don't know about the forum, what Betty described it perfectly. Imagine if you had a bunch of political parties that were all leftist parties and they pretty much all joined together in this, in this block of nations. And it was a, a, a scholar here, a former CIA analyst, name was Constantine Menges, who did a lot of writing and, and studies about the forum and how it was being used to undermine a U.S. national and security interest throughout uh, the hemisphere. And you all, uh, you know, Guatemala is an important country in Central America. It's one of the largest. Uh, it also has many challenges, but they have pretty much waged a quiet war on your country by trying to undermine your constitution, your institutions, your, 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 your family value-centric culture. Uh, it's a very Catholic culture, very Christian culture. Uh, yes. Why? Why do you think they've done that, and why have they used? You know, they've been very clever. You know, Fidel Castro counseled a lot of people in the hemisphere. You don't want to do this with guns right away. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you learn from us. That's a mistake. It, uh, it, it's been a cultural revolution, Jason. And they've used your legal system to try and undermine it, uh, undermine your country. I mean, that's that's, that's what they've done, right? Even deeper than that. The first step that the Foro de Sao Paulo recommended was to take over education. So in Guatemala, under our noses, uh, they changed the history books. So in our history books nowadays, the whole story of the war has been completely uh, misrepresented. And uh, so the new generations, the younger generations are, are educated in a completely Different, um, different scenario from what happened, from what truly happened. You see, they've, they've completely changed our history. And let me tell you that the same thing has been done partially in your country without you guys noticing. So that's okay. one step that the Foro de Sao Paulo does. The second step was to take over the, just, the judicial system. 
So the first thing they did in Guatemala was to place a former guerrilla commander as head of the archives in the national police. Wow. That was a key. That was a key movement, because key key position that they took over, because via that they managed to uh, disappear all the files that would incriminate guerrilla commanders, and they put whatever they wanted in the files um, about uh, military officers that had been successful during the war. So the persecution began. And uh, the OAS jumped in because the, the Inter-American Court, uh, Human Rights Court, uh, at the time was also taken by, the, by, by, this, by these guys, by the, by the foro, people from the foro, the, the left, the Latin American left. So they have done a series of, uh, of uh, trials in Guatemala to give you an example of one so that you can have a laugh and your listeners will have a laugh at this, but even though it's, it makes me want to cry, but it is how it is. Um, they had a group of women accusing uh, some officers of raping them systematically in the highlands in 1982. Uh, these officers are now very seniors. They're in their 80s. They, the women were completely covered as if wearing a burka so we couldn't tell if they were seniors, youngsters, or what, to begin with. Secondly, they said these women didn't speak Spanish. So they couldn't open their mouths. They just sat there. But during the entire trial, you could see them picking up their cell phones and going into WhatsApp. And there is no such a thing as WhatsApp in, um, in indigenous uh, languages. So basically, the, the, the accused couldn't face their accusers, what you're saying. And exactly. So that we exactly. have no idea who will. That's, that's, and, wow. and, uh, and one more, and one more element that is unbelievable. One, for, for example, one of the guys that was accused, one of the, of the generals accused, he was accused of committing, uh, well, systematic rapes, meaning these women would come to the, to the officers to get raped, and then they would leave and go home. And then they would come back the next day to get raped again, and then they would go back home, if that makes any sense. Interesting. Um, well, yes. Well, we're going to come back to that, Betty. We'll take a quick break, okay. and uh, we'll pick up there with the due process issues. Me, and then just go, let me tell you really quickly this yeah, thing. Yeah, go ahead. The, office, the officer accused was actually not in that town at the time of the rape. Let me leave it at that. Well, we'll come back to that in a second. Then we'll pick up on the judicial system, uh, what's happening with the OAS and the constitutional court, which uh, that to any lawyer or any activist should really uh, uh, raise eyebrows. So we'll be right back. Hello, fellow Liberty Warriors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way uh, to make a podcast. It's free uh, for starters. There's also an awesome creation tool. If you don't want to hire a producer right away, you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone, right from your computer, anywhere you are, at any time. It's uh, distributed for you, so that's really important. Once you record this, you need to get it to the right platform. They will do that for you, including on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many, many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast. It's all in one place. It's very easy to use. So give Anchor a try. Download the free Anchor app 
or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm to get started. And we're back. We're back with Betty Marroquin, former vice presidential candidate in Guatemala, former diplomat, a friend of the United States, friend of liberty, a friend of conservatives and colleagues in the region and beyond. And we're chatting a little bit about the rule of law in Guatemala, or frankly, the lack thereof, and how this impacts in the United States. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pick up where we left off on that and then get into some of the security issues uh, that mm -hmm. Betty has to share with us and some of the challenges in our country. So, you know, you told us a lot in the first segment. What is this business with, you know, the court's system down there? What happened? What is the OAS doing? What's the UN doing? And why, if you have three branches of government, including a judiciary, do you need an outside organization imposed on you? Well, at the beginning, it wasn't imposed on you. The country said, okay, come on in. But why does the outside forces want to force your country to do things? Why can't it all be handled within your constitutional framework? Well, Jason, thank you. We were convinced during the, the years uh, that right after signing the peace agreements, we were convinced that we were uh, uh, cor the most corrupt country in the planet, that we were uh, like, a, like a body that is completely ill and you know the brain and the heart are not working so we need to have someone from outside come in and fix our heart and fix our brain to put it in an example wow. in a, you know, set it up okay. uh that's what we were told and that's what we were convinced of well not me but many people and um those those in office were convinced of this so they allowed the the ex an experiment from the united nations to be instated in Guatemala, which is CICIG. Uh, the famous CICIG, or infamous CICIG, um, stayed in Guatemala for 12 years, and its job was to battle corruption, and especially the clandestine groups operating in the country. And, and so, basically, for our listeners, uh, the, when she says CICIG, she's talking about the International Commission Against Impunity in Guatemala and the Spanish acronym is CISIG. This is like the UN and Guatemala in this case enter into an agreement to put this international organization inside the country. So again, I wanna use an example from the United States. This is like if they had put an organization run by the UN to tell and order the Supreme Court of the United States around and tell our Justice Department how to do its job. Is that a fair? characterization of, of what CSIG did in Guatemala? Yes, okay. absolutely. Okay. But not what it did, what it was supposed to do, basically. So what, what happened was that the first two commissioners, one had to leave for accusations of, of sexual harassment, the other one had to leave for accusations of some other corruption element. Um, so not exactly, um, not exactly in high standards. Right. The third judge was a Colombian uh, linked to the FARC, to the guerrilla in Colombia. Hold, hold and, on. Uh, hey, somebody was actually linked to, yes. the te to a terrorist organization Oh, uh, yes. Yes, Ivan Velasquez. He's, that's, uh, oh, that's right. He's a, that's right. That's he's right. a full-blown member of FARC. I mean, why, why did Guatemala, you know, I've always, I, I've read the, I've read a lot about CSIG. I never supported CSIG because 
No, uh, not that. And again, a lot of people who criticize CSIG, we will get criticized because they'll say, aren't you against corruption? Right. So mm -hmm. it, it's, it's kind of a transparent, baseless accusation, by the way, uh, mm -hmm. because I, I always felt Guatemala, even when I had first learned about CSIG, I felt, you know what, they have a constitution. They have lawyers. They have great judges. They have people there. I mean, are they perfect? No, they're not perfect anywhere. They're not perfect in this country. They're not perfect in any country. You work mm -hmm. on improving your system from within. So I never supported the, the CSIG model. But why do you think you. they? You know, why do you think they, the Guatemalans at the time, thought it was a good idea? And then why did your former president, the one that just stepped down, uh, take so much pressure when he said? enough, I don't want these people in Guatemala anymore because all the harm they're causing. Well, basically, and we go back to the, to the Foro de Sao Paulo, another step that they point out is taking over the media. So using the media, the history books and the court and the domination of the courts, they convinced the Guatemalan people that we were so corrupt. We were the most corrupt country in the planet. We needed us an foreign entity to come and fix us not on one hand. So in, this gave CSIG an, an basically like an open canvas to do whatever they wanted on, on Guatemalan soil. And um, they, they deemed themselves to be above the law in Guatemala. Right. And Betty, sorry to interrupt you, but it's re worth reminding, these were non-Guatemalans trying to tell Guatemalans how to run their business affairs. Yes, it's unbelievable. It's outrageous. It's outrageous. So it came out. Actually, the result of it was absolutely horrific. We have people that, I mean, they violated rule of law dramatically. So the, the CSIG pointed out, helped point out, along with the U.S. Embassy operating here, I'm sorry to tell you, but deep state U.S. Embassy operating full-blown in Guatemala, they managed oh, oh, to oh boy. <laughs> sorry, yes. I the mean, deep I state, the oh, okay, I haven't heard that said uh, uh, ever before, but so, well, we'll talk about that later, but go, keep going, keep going. But, but anyways, they managed to impose on the president at the time, the, the, I mean, three of the worst judges ever to the constitutional court. Our constitutional court, you had asked me this before, our constitutional court was created as a guardian that would make the three powers respect like a police, policeman that would tell them, or a, no, not a policeman, um, someone that would tell the three powers, look, this legislation uh, is against the constitution because of this reason. That was their function, to protect the sanctity of the constitution, period. Right. They had right. no other power. They were not a fourth power. They were like an advisory group. Okay. Let me ask you something, because I've heard horror stories about CSIG in Guatemala. Oh, you have no um, idea. And I believe that because of the way it interfered in your legal system, it broke down, it eroded sovereignty. And I've said mm -hmm. that repeatedly, but it also did something worse than that. It also undermined law enforcement, I think, in the country, which indirectly mm -hmm hurts U.S. national security because it makes it harder for our two nations to cooperate with one another and, and it interfered. Do you think that organization and the dynamics it created in your country hurt security in the region? Tremendously. When, the, when CSIG came in, 
uh, Guatemala was a, was a transshipment area, but it was not producing drugs. Drugs had been eradicated. So in the 12 years that CICIG was operating in Guatemala, smaller cartels flourished in the highlands uh, under the protection of the indigenous communities because Ivan Velasquez, the head of CICIG, would go to the highlands and meet with the indigenous leaders and, um, and tell them that, you know, uh, indigenous law should be abided and the constitution should adopt indigenous law and blah, 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 instead of helping uh, place more police presence, more public ministries presence. Uh, we call it public ministry, what you, what you call the district attorney's office. Right. So uh, that's, that's what, sorry, I, um, is it okay if I call it public ministry? Yeah, that's fine, of course. Okay, yeah. I don't want people to get confused. But anyways, so Ivan Velasquez, instead of stimulating the presence of the public ministry and the police in the highlands and the, and the military, which has traditionally uh, taken care of the highlands, um, he took them off. And he said that indigenous communities could rule themselves. So under his nose, he was applauding, for example, in the indigenous communities, if somebody steals or, or steals something, an indigenous person steals something, they bring this person to the, to the, to the central um, uh, plaza. What do you, how do you call plaza in English? Yeah, like the, the, like the town square. Uh, yeah, the town, yeah. town square, thank yeah. you. They, yeah. bring it, they bring the person to the town square, they, um, Naked, they put this person naked and then they, they flagellate the person. What? For example, that's indigenous justice. Or they would lock a person in a, in a, in a one by one, one meter by one meter room, uh, no light for a week. That's punishment, indigenous punishment. That's, that's, okay. that's so outrageous. Velasquez, thank you. Velasquez, and it's documented. Velasquez under CC applauded that, said it that was fine because that was indigenous justice. So with that excuse, he took the authorities away from the areas and where that are now full-blown drug trafficker cartels, smaller cartels working for the Sinaloa cartel and working for the Golfo cartel. You know that's you know that's why that's why I, that's why I think President Morales has to be applauded for okay. taking for taking a tough stand against this organization because what they were doing was beyond advising they were meddling in guatemalan affairs and they were trying to usurp the constitutional order um and for the life of me i don't understand why honduras and el salvador have signed up for this similar type of arrangement uh with the organization of american states and uh, I, I believe it's going to be harmful i think we mm -hmm. should be building institutions we should be trying to bolster the justice departments in those countries and cooperate with our friends, bring joint prosecutions like we've done. We have a great history of the U.S. Justice Department holding bad people to account by working with our friends in the region. I think we can do that in Guatemala. In fact, you have an interesting story about, which we're going to talk about in the next segment, but how uh, there's even been interference in drug interdiction down there mm -hmm. uh, because uh, equipment that we've uh, sold and 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 have uh, given to the Guatemalan military has been grounded uh, because certain people don't want to have our 
and we're going to be careful what we get into here, too much detail, because you've, you've cautioned that we can't get into too much detail about some of this, but you believe that this is kind of spilled over into uh, U.S. drug and addiction, uh, having all this tinkering with uh, the legal system has eroded confidence in institutions down there. Yes, yes, we had, uh, you see, in the past, in the, in the former administration that just ended, um, there was a minister of the interior who was uh, very efficient, and he worked very well with the military attaches in Guatemala and with DEA and uh, INL and all of them. He, by the way, was the only or has been the only minister, Latin American minister, who has been at the honor of being at the Oval Office signing an agreement with the U.S. with President Trump's hand on his shoulder. That was a very significant thing here because it, it gave um, a boost of confidence on our good relations that infuriated all the left. So because of this, yes, uh, President, what happened was that uh, some helicopters that were given to us during the Reagan administration, by the way, another beloved president in Guatemala, we, be, we love President Reagan, um, he sent us those helicopters to fight against the guerrillas and drug traffickers as well. Um, those helicopters, of course, that was 20-something years ago, uh, needed repairing and whatnot, and we couldn't do it because Senator Patrick Leahy and my friend, and your friend, uh, who handles these affairs for Senator Leahy, is convinced that all, all of our military are human rights violators, and therefore the U.S. could not give taxpayers money to uh, repair anything that had to do with the military in Guatemala. This comes from the 70s. And in the 80s, even though President Reagan managed to give us the helicopters, then we couldn't repair them because of these reasons. But anyways, so President Morales finally got, uh, asked President Trump for help. And the law changed a little bit in order for uh, the U.S. to help us repair those helicopters. They came back last year. But for some reason, beyond President Morales's control and President Trump's control, they were not allowed to take off after Minister Degenhardt had that moment where he signed the agreement with President um, Trump's hand on his shoulder. They would not be; they were not allowed to be used for some, by some power that you know goes beyond your president and my president. Well, you know, the, the, you, you, I'll unpack that a little bit for our listeners. I think, without a doubt, Morales' administration in spite of the challenges, was a very successful administration. I mean, he, according to some data that I've seen, homicide rates dropped. Uh, yes. uh, he was able to reform the revenue tax collection system to make it more efficient, although he's not a tax and spend person, but he improved it because it was inefficient. Uh, there were a lot of uh, officials that he fired for corruption and, mm -hmm. and, and oh, people oh. who tried to block oh. his efforts. Officials that were imposed to him by, and I may say it because I'm Guatemalan, by your embassy. Oh, we'll talk about that in a second. That's interesting. That's interesting. I want our listeners to to understand that one a little bit because I want to understand that one a little bit. But you know, he, a lot a lot of good happened, and yes. I think Guatemala and our partners around the region need to have the best equipment within U.S. policy. You're talking a lot about the Leahy Amendment and, and some other issues uh, involving uh, arms export uh, controls that are, uh, we're not going to get too deep into that, but, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, but our, you know, we're partners. We have to find ways to work together and you shouldn't be yeah. relying on 40-year-old technology 
uh, or, or at least repairing uh, equipment uh, that could be used for interdiction uh, and issues such as combating transnational crime mm-hmm. or illegal immigration for that matter. I've heard from colleagues in other parts of Central America uh, down there in the triangle, I'm not going to get specific with who, mm-hmm. told me that there have been times when they want to go out together with U.S. forces in the region. I think you know which base I'm talking about. And mm-hmm. they want to go out and patrol the border. And they want to make sure that uh, the, 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 the human traffickers are not out there uh, trafficking. And there were times when they were blocked and they were not mm-hmm. allowed to work together. And that, you know, that has to change. And in Guatemala, especially, the largest country down there, uh, they're good partners. We have to find ways to work together and get beyond this Cold War era thinking that somehow we have to live in the past and a distorted path, as you told us at the beginning of the program, a distorted historical past. We have to be transparent. We have to be open. We have to build strong institutions. If you all want our help, we should help each other. But we definitely should not be undermining one another because that hurts ultimately U.S. national security. And it's felt all the way over here. Absolutely. You see, uh, in this in this 21st century, our our view, and I say our because I'm, I, I I know it's not just me. There's a, a large conservative population here. First of all, we love the U.S. We think of the U.S. as our biggest friend. Well, Betty, uh, Betty, what you know, everybody, everybody over here. I think you need to repeat that because everybody over here, even on Fox News, you know, they claim to be fair and balanced. They never report that. They always only report about illegal immigration. And that's all there is to think about in, in Latin America. To tell, tell our listeners more about that, because that's my experience with Guatemala. You all love the United States. You love Americans. And you want us to travel there, do business there. Tremendously. Tremendously. We, we, we are pro-USA all the way. Uh, it's just a small amount that is, well, I'm sorry, the left here that hates the U.S., hates Israel, hates uh, capitalism, loves Soros, loves the Clintons, loves the Democrats. Um, basically, that's how it is. But the majority of us are pro-Republican. We're, we're, I may say this, but we love President Trump. We see him as the leader of the free world. And for us, he's the one standing against socialism, globalism, and progressive mentality. So we love him. Oh, but oh. having said that, um, we, we are a country that is, uh, many of us are convinced that the only way to stop illegal immigration, drug trafficking um, to begin with, which are the two biggest elements in the bilateral agenda with the USA, are not aid. We don't want aid. You see, your taxpayers' money, Jason, come feed all these NGOs that work against U.S. principles and values. Yeah, and, and, and that's what, this is a good place to take a break because we're going to come back and get into this. I think you were the person who told me that we live down here sometimes with a tyranny of NGOs. And yes. I, I want you to explain that uh, to our listeners because that a lot of it is funded with U.S. taxpayer money or by U.S. nonprofits that funnel money into your country. So when everybody over here is talking about Russia meddling in the U.S. elections, I think you have an interesting story to tell about who is meddling in your country's business. And I also want you to, uh, in addition to that, we're going to talk a little bit about the, 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 the uh, CAFTA-DR trade agreement and some other uh, interesting mm-hmm. uh, opportunities, I think, for Americans out there, because it's not all bad news. So we'll, we'll be right back with Betty. 
Okay, and we're back. Betty, before we took yeah. that break, we started to talk about the tyranny of the NGOs. I think you're the one or one of your colleagues there coined that coined that phrase a few years ago and oh, I found it quite it remarkable. Mm -hmm. What what does that mean? So to to what does it mean tyranny of an NGO? Well, tyranny of an NGO means that the NGOs were tremendously were like sacred cows protected by the U.S. Embassy, the U.N., the OAS here. So nobody could touch them. They could do whatever they want in Guatemala. No accountability or oversight uh, on them whatsoever. So when uh, Congress last year wanted to approve a legislation, a legislative proposal that would actually uh, emulate a little bit the one in the U.S. that uh, holds them accountable, uh, for for their actions and also um, transparency uh, on how the money the where the money is coming from and where how is it being used, um, they scream you know their brains out and we're pulling so, their so, hair. So 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 this is important. So you were trying to pass like a a Freedom of Information Act or some type of a yes. law to make Similar them register, the like a disclosure mm -hmm. law to register. Yes, to register and also to be transparent. We want okay, so, to yeah, so, so, so basically here in the United States, uh, if you're a lobbyist or if you are um, advocating a policy change, you have to register to lobby. So mm -hmm. uh, usually most cases, uh, nonprofits or people who do not engage in changing policy, if you're just educating, you do not have to register as a lobbyist, but mm -hmm. or or register with Congress, or even under the Foreign Agent Registration Act, if you're like a foreign entity trying to advocate here in the U.S. What you were trying to do over there, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember this debate. You were trying to have nonprofits or foreign companies or foreign entities that were active in the political space who were trying to change your laws to register. That's all you were trying to do. No, not only that. We wanted we wanted to know where the money was coming from, and for them to have to to be accountable on how they were using that money. So how, how big was the how, how big was the backlash against that? Tell me, tell me, and let me give an example. The Dutch uh, consul in Guatemala, he realized what was happening, so he invited one of the vice ministers of foreign affairs from Holland to come here and. He organized a big meeting with all the NGOs that were receiving money from Dutch uh, parties and Dutch government. Um, as the room was full of people, he, he asked the consul to step outside from the back door of the restaurant where he organized it. And he went into the parking lot and he showed the vice minister all the super expensive vehicles that these guys were coming in. And they were all indigenous people and they're now NGOs and whatever leaders. Right. And uh, super expensive cars, some of them with uh, blindaje, bulletproof. Some of right. them were bulletproof, which is super expensive here. When the consul realized this, he went by and, and, and he said, look where your money, where our taxpayers' money is going to. Because just how they drive, that's how they leave. And for our listeners, I think people need to realize that in Guatemala, the per capita average income for... A, a, a lower middle class family is about twenty seven hundred to twelve sixteen hundred dollars a month. Yes, so, but we're not an expensive country. It's important also to say that we don't our our standards of living are not expensive as as those in the U.S. So even though our 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 uh, income is smaller, 
our expenses are smaller. So we, we kind of balance it, you know. But these guys live in mansions. So they were taking advantage is what there they were doing. There was one of them. There was one of them that, that was paying 3,000 euros per month, which is obscene. Not even, not even rich people pay 3,000 euros per month for our house rent so here. So you were trying to get some transparency, some sunshine exactly. into this network, this web uh-huh. of NGOs and foreigners who are engaging in political activity in your country. Mm-hmm. Why did the reforms stop? Because the Democrats uh, opposed it, Leahy opposed it, and the Trump administration didn't uh, jump into it. So, so that's an interesting observation you've made. This is the second or third time we've talked about that. Tell our listeners, why do you think the U.S. has a strong, so U.S. leaders, when, we, when, when U.S. leaders uh, speak on issues of your country, uh, whether they're Republican or Democrat, it reverberates in your country. Is that what you're telling our listeners? Tremendously. That's why, for instance, when, when right now, going back to the Constitutional Court, right now we have this battle because the Constitutional Court became a court of terrorists and traitors to the nation, basically. Uh, thanks to them, thousands of jobs, thousands of families in Guatemala have lost their jobs. So, so tell, they, t- t- tell our listeners like uh, what the constitutional court is, because it's not one of the uh, courts of the constitution. It, it was created to do what police a, the other it's courts. A, it's like like no, it's basically like I was saying before, an advisory group that was going to tell people watch out that action, those actions violate the constitution because of this and this and this. They were a, uh, like an advisory element, and that's so, how we. So why not? So why not? So why not allow your constitutional, ju- uh, legal, judicial system take care of that? Well, that's what we wanted to, but you know, once again, um, a certain foreign power working in Guatemala won't let us. And uh, actually, so right now the fight is that the 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 con our Congress by the constitution is the one that is supposed to take the immunity away from these, uh, these judges, these corrupt judges from the, from the constitutional court. There's five judges. Out of those five, there's only one that has behaved according to the law. The other four has, have broken the law, but three in particular have corruption charges against them, pending. So, so, what, so what will happen to them? So what happened was that the judiciary recommended the legislative to take away their immunity so that they could be persecuted. Besides, according to our law, they should have stepped down last year. You see, but they they did some illegal actions. They manipulated the law in order to stay in office. And this year that the government changed, you see, they didn't want Morales to appoint a constitutional court judge last year, a magistrate. They didn't want Morales to appoint him because they knew Morales would have appointed a conservative judge. So they manipulated the, everything, the scenario, to come to 2020 so that the new government would, would, put, would nominate that new judge instead. One is nominated by the executive, one is chosen by Congress, one, another one is chosen by the uh, judiciary, another one is chosen by the um, uh, by the bar, by the bar, and the last one is chosen by the public university, San Carlos. That's yeah, how me, they are appointed. 
let me ask you, let me ask you, Betty, when you ran for Congress, I mean, when you ran for, for with, with your colleague there to be president and vice president, did these issues come up when you were on the campaign trail? What would people ask you? I mean, is this what they were concerned about? Did they just... No, people, people were asking us for jobs. They wanted jobs. You see, our people don't ask for charity. When you go into a, an indigenous community, for instance, I had plans to bring some new crops. There's uh, certain things that are very well uh, marketed in the, in the international market, and, I, and they, they are produced beautifully in Guatemala, but not, uh, not in an organized way. So I wanted to organize cooperatives owned by the indigenous community so that they could have their own uh, production of this, and I would help them commercialize them overseas as a vice president. That would have been part of my job because all the economic agenda was under mine would have been my my responsibility so, so you were so you were on an ownership agenda you wanted people to have their own businesses empower. their own companies yes. and their own land empower. we believed in empowering people we believe that a dollar in the in the, in the in an individual's pocket is way more productive than a dollar in government's pocket so guatemalans by and large like americans don't want to be on charity no they don't they want don't. welfare no these paternalistic approaches they know better. You see, they receive it. They, if you give them a gift, they will not say no. But what they want is a job. They want you, to work. You know, sometimes these NGOs, by, and maybe, do you agree with me that a lot of them have a, a paternalistic outlook? They want to be uh, keeping people dependent or do they want to make people independent? You see, if you have people dependent on you, you can control them. That's the key. If you have people that are free, free to think, free to produce, free to conduct their own lives, and you just give them a decent legal framework to, to stand on, people prosper and flourish. But they are that. They are free. They're independent. The government cannot control them. And, that, and we are convinced of that here. In my view, my country would prosper tremendously if we had a government that understands that freedom is sacred. And that as long Indeed. as our people are free and opportunities are given to them, they will find their own way. You protect their fundamental, you know, the government should protect fundamental rights and get out of the way and let, exactly. people, let, let people do what they do best. Take care of their families, take care of their neighborhoods, look after one another mm -hmm. and, and not be told what to do, not only by the government, but by mm -hmm. foreign invaders. I, you know, I consider many of these NGOs foreign invaders and they go into yeah. these countries throughout central america and mexico in the caribbean mm -hmm. in south america and you know there are a lot of good ones mm -hmm. but there are also some really terrible ones and once we're going to take a quick break i want to talk a little bit more about the organization of american states i just, want to just let me tell you one last thing of course all the, all the ngos that that are conservative and are operating legally i mean are operating uh according to what they're supposed to be doing, we're in agreement with, this, with that legislative proposal that we requ would require them to be more transparent. They were all for it. Yeah, when you, when you, 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 you have nothing to hide when you're out there and you're, and you're exactly. focused on a freedom agenda. There's nothing to hide. Uh, exactly. when, when you're trying to manipulate and undermine a country uh, using, like you said, the, 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 the Foro Sao Paulo system mm -hmm. and all the constellation of, of left-wing organizations that are under that uh, spider web of, 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 I think you, you have a problem and, and you have an endemic problem and you've identified and outlined it very well that has to be unpacked even more. 
uh, when we come back, we're going to chat some more about your, your campaign and your platform because I think it was a phenomenal idea that I think has to be continued and a little bit more about what can the United States do working together with you know, Americans, people who have businesses or folks who are interested in learning more about Guatemala, what they can do to help you all uh, advance that freedom agenda. We'll be right back. Betty, we're back for our final segment. Can you believe we've been talking for almost an hour? Well, talking to you is such a pleasure, my friend, that, you know, <laughs> we could talk for hours. It goes, well, we have talked for hours and it, it goes both ways and uh, I enjoyed it. Besides, <laughs> we, we have a passion for our countries. We have a passion for freedom. We have a passion for prosperity. So, yes. Well, we we're, we're going to do it again because there's a few things that we just touched upon that we need to go back and unpack Delighted. even more. But going back to your freedom agenda, going back to your campaign, the jobs, the people out there that you met with, I think it's very similar to what you hear here in America or frankly, any country. Most people just want government out of their way. They want to be left alone. They don't want to be told what to do. They want to go out and pursue their dreams. I think that's universal. I think that's mm -hmm. part of what makes America so appealing to so many people because uh, we, we, we just are, we're an opportunity society at, at our core. What happened uh, and what can happen, you think, in Guatemala to advance that, you know, during the campaign, you talked about it, but what can we do now? Uh, and what can our, our, our folks on this side uh, do to help you all? And also the second part of that, a lot of taxpayer money goes to fund these programs that are, mm -hmm. that spend money in your country. If you had the ear of American policymakers who are making those decisions about how to fund these programs, what would your recommendations be? I would ask them to stop funding them. Even USAID, for instance, uh, during the Obama administration and even under the Trump administration was promoting heavily all the Gates Foundation uh, policies regarding abortion and all of, all of that here. Uh, under, I mean, and, and Washington was not even, I don't know if they were unaware of it or the deep state was handling it. I think the deep state was handling it. So your taxpayers' money have been used, ill-used here. We would love to have uh, a U.S. administration that would tell us, fix your own problems, you have your own laws, I won't interfere, just fix it according to your law, number one. That would, that would completely restore rule of law in Guatemala. We have excellent attorneys that love our country, that love law. The law that are, you know what I mean? They, yeah, yeah, they love they the practice committed. of law. Right, right. They are committed to practicing law properly it's their passion we have a lot of them that would that could step into the plate and take over rule of law to restore it in guatemala and by the way when you when you say rule of law and and you uh, and rule of law programs i think and you've told me this and some of your your colleagues have told me this uh, many times you're you're talking about collaboration between your justice department our justice department our dea our fbi your law enforcement you're not talking about sending people over there to train corrupt judges or teaching people about these international organizations that meddle in your country. Is, is that right? That is correct. And also that we need to get rid of this constitutional court as it is, because to give you an example, Mina San Rafael, the third largest silver mine in the planet, 
is in Guatemala. It was owned by Tahoe Researchers, which is an American company. The Constitutional Court ruled against it. It favored the people that were attacking the mine persistently, and, uh, and, and it was an NGO. Uh, we later on found out that the Open Society Foundation was fueling it. And um, so basically, they attacked systematically the mine in every way possible, including violence, and the Constitutional Court protected the attackers. Wow. The Tahoe resources broke. And the, later on, we found out that a company of a company of a company of a company that is owned by Soros is now the owner of the mine. You know, that, that, you know I have a, something you sent me about that here, and I read about that. So what you're telling us is that there were NGOs that were used to target American yes. companies? Yes. All foreign companies. That's outrageous. They're attacking, they're attacking the Russian investments in of nickel, the nickel uh, exploitation in, in, in a region in Guatemala that is uh, basically handled by two Russian companies. Constitutional Court is doing the same thing against them. He's doing the same thing against uh, the, the palm oil uh, farms that, by the way, have not deforestated because the palm oil uh, producers in Guatemala took a region that was already deforestated, that was already destroyed. So, back they, to, so basically, they, they destroyed the environment, is what you're saying, and then they... No, no, no. The indigenous communities had already destroyed the environment. Even the, even the FAO has said that the indigenous communities' agricultural practices are destroying the ecology here. Even them have said it. So these owners, these uh, businessmen came and bought those, that land that was already a wreck. Right. And that's what they use for their palm oil plantations, giving a ton of jobs. Let me tell you, Americans don't understand that the private sector in Guatemala has, every time they open a farm, they open something, they also put a school. Some of them have got to the point of having an, a university. For example, the cement company in Guatemala. Yes, it is a monopoly. Even though we have people coming in, uh, uh, there's cement from Mexico, cement from Turkey in Guatemala. So, quote well, unquote, well, cement, cement, cement yeah. as a global industry tends to be pretty centralized, regardless. So, it's yes, it's not it's not just it's not just in Guatemala. Yes, but in Guatemala, this company has reforested, re, reforested, is that right. correct? Pardon yeah, my they, English? they've kind of basically put, put all the trees back and tried to get the, the land back in a usable format. Yes, and not only that, they have a university where they educate people on agricultural practices and engineers and whatnot. So I've met people that are a third generation working for the cement company and they love it. So the NGOs, so, so let me ask you something. If you're an American businessman or woman and you have a company and you see something lucrative that you'd love to be able to exploit and work with your colleagues in the free market in Guatemala, mm -hmm. what, what advice would you give them? Because when I read that story that you had sent me on Tahoe and the others, um, I was shocked. I mean, this is as, as if you, you try and open up a business and then these, these NGOs that are not supposed to be meddling in this sort of thing start accusing you of things falsely. And then you, they run you out of town. So for, for a businessman or woman, a company who's seeking to mitigate risk, do you recommend that they go down there? How do you mitigate risk in a place where the court systems are being manipulated by uh, third country organizations? And uh, what do you recommend? Like what, what should American policymakers be doing? How do you make things better? There, we do have a trade agreement, but mm -hmm. you know, when a company invests 
and they put millions of dollars into a business, uh, it takes a long time to get your investment back if you're kicked out or accused of something and being forced into court. Yes, and it's completely unfair. If I was a U.S. company, I wouldn't come invest right now. Wow. I wouldn't do it. Wow. If I wanted to, if I, if I already had investment in Guatemala, I would go to my member of Congress and tell him or her to please support that the Guatemalan court system fixes itself. Let it fix itself. Because, our, our, again, our constitution is good. Our laws are decent, even though we over-legislate, but that's another issue. But, we, but, but our, our basic laws for, for trade are, are decent. What we're trying to do is reduce the government procedures to make it easier for investors, both national and foreigner, to come and operate. As, as, as the, as that is one of the biggest ways, in my view, to uh, attract foreign investment. But again, we need the Constitutional Court to go because that has been the key element against foreign investment in Guatemala. Well, what would you say to people, Betty, who say that, well, what's your formula then for combating corruption? It's a rhetorical question. I think we know the answer, but how do you address your, your opponents over here who can only see one thing? They don't see a Quetzal when they see Guatemala. They only see corruption. What, what do you tell people about that? Well, to, my country is a country of hardworking people to begin with. We are a country, of, we're not a country of lazy people. We're all parasites. We're a country of people that like to work and be productive, number one. Number two, our laws are very good, and we do have good people that could enforce them, but we need those good people to have the opportunity to get there. We do not want the same rotten judges and same rotten uh, polit politicized individuals to continue manipulating a rule of law. That has to, they have to go. Is that's the, the first thing. We need new blood, clean blood. So basically, basically clean up. So basically enforce the laws that you have on the books and improve the laws where you think that they need some improvement, but do it within your mechanism, not some mechanism imposed by the outside. Exactly. And the third element is that the reason why there is corruption in Guatemala is because we, we have over-legislated and our procedures are very... Um, shady. We have a government that is too big for a country of our size. Even our Congress is too big. If, if, it was, if it was up to me, our Congress would be cut into 60 people instead of 140. Um, wow, oh, that's a lot. So you have 140 people in a, in a country of 17 million, 140 yes. members of Congress? Yes, it's ridiculous. So wow. we have a, and huge government spending. But here's the thing. As long as there is um, uh, bureaucrats, uh, bureaucrats can exercise their judgment when applying rules and legislations, there will be corruption. You see? Corruption, you know, there's corruption. And this is one thing I think it, it irritates me when I hear the anti-corruption extremists uh, here in Washington and in other places uh, you know, single out countries for corruption. Every country has to grapple with corruption because it's a, it's a human nature issue. Human nature, uh, exactly. yeah, it's, it's a human nature issue. So really the best place to begin combating corruption is when you're born, in your home, uh, mm -hmm. in your families, when you teach people values and, and you teach them the right way and the wrong way to do things. Mm -hmm. You don't mm -hmm. impose and engage in tyrannical behavior 
and rule extremism and overregulation and lack of trust to combat corruption. And you don't weaponize the anti-corruption crusade to hurt countries. And I have a big problem with that. And mm -hmm. it's not just in Guatemala. So you shouldn't, I think that's something that we have to have a very frank discussion about and not be scared that we're going to be accused of being pro-corruption. Mm -hmm. Nobody's pro-corruption. That's ridiculous. At all. It's ridiculous. Exactly. Well, only the corrupt ones are pro-corruption. But let me tell you one thing, um, Jason. CSIG, we applauded Velasquez at the beginning of his mandate here because he took down President Otto Perez, Morale, Otto Perez Molina and uh, Vice President Valdetti for corruption charges. Fine. Right, right. Guess what? That uh, entity, which, which, was, which is known as La Linea, the line, was never broken. They just took the two heads, and the heads were replaced by Telmaldana and her people. Wow. So the, uh, the district attorney became the one receiving all the funding that was illegally being sent to the vice president and the president. You follow me? And yep. this was under, under, under CSIG's approval. Actually, we are wondering what Velasquez was carrying in 30-something pieces of luggage when he left, because there was an episode when they came out saying that they had confiscated um, millions of dollars in bags. Those millions of dollars never reappeared. There was, wow. there was no mention of them ever again. Wow. And then he left, and there's the, the, at the airport, people saw him with 30-something pieces of luggage that would not be um, checked because he had, uh, he had in full immunity. Wow. So, you know, well, and, and, I, but, but going back to the corruption, just let me add one thing to why, why I'm saying this. The reason why I'm saying this is because La Linea, that thing that, that was taken down by Sisig in theory, is still operating to this day. And it consists, it starts at the at customs uh, agents. When, when, a, when a container comes in, they have the prerogative to decide when will that container uh, be released uh, and if that container will be checked, you see? So right. the aduana person, the, the, the guy in customs, if he receives money from the owner of the container for the container not to be checked, then he gets that money and the container leaves. If he wants to bother the owner of the container, he opens it, he does whatever he wants to it. I was a victim of this when I moved back to Guatemala from Italy. My container had only uh, my clothing and furniture. I wasn't going to pay. I wasn't going to pay a bribe. So they opened it and they destroyed half of my, of my furniture. Well, and this, this is like a good, a good example of- a, I went of, through of, it myself. So. And, and, and it's a space that, um, this is a good example of where the US and Guatemala can work together, where we mm -hmm. can improve. And that's part of President, Trump's America First policy of improving relationships, goods and service exports, investment opportunities for U.S. firms. Those are the basics that we have to get right. Those are the, and those are the procedures that we can learn from one another and collaborate with. You know, that's a probably a good use of foreign aid, having DHS yes. and our people working together to improve systems like those. So things like we, that don't happen. And we that would love it. We would love it if we could have something like you have in your ports. Let me give you an example. A container goes from Guatemala to Port Everglades in Florida, which is one of our top partners of Puerto Rico right. and yep. Tomás de Castilla, right. and it takes hours for it to clear, and it's all technologically done. Ting, 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 and it's out. Well, and, you your supply, and, and supply chain security, it's not just about trade. Uh, supply mm -hmm. chain security 
in, in this world that we live in today is essential. So it's a space that we have to work on to mm-hmm. improve because if your supply chains are secure, our supply chains are more secure, the region's supply chains are more secure. And exactly. it, that's, that's the sort of cooperation we have to be engaging in, not a lot of this NGO meddling in the domestic mm-hmm. affairs of your country. So uh, mm-hmm. Betty, there's so much we've talked about. Is there anything <laughs> else? Because we have to wrap this up, but is there any message you have uh, there's about a, a few more months left in this Congress before the elections come, but there's a lot well, of time. Is there anything you have a message for people who follow Guatemala policy here in Washington that you want them to hear? Well, the first thing, if you have anyone from OAS like Almagro listening, you need to step away from my country because the issue going on in the Constitutional Court is an is an issue between three uh, Republican entities, meaning the executive, legislative, and judiciary, you have no jurisdiction interfering, number one. Number two, I hope the American people realize what's at stake this year. You need. I've lived in the U.S. For, for a long time. I love the U.S. We share the same principles and values. Pre- please protect your family, protect your private property, protect your Second Amendment, protect your form of life, your your essence as Americans. Don't let it go to waste. Don't let it be destroyed by people that only want that only dream of changing what has made of America the number one free country in the world. Don't lose it. Please vote for those who will protect who you are as a nation. Well Betty, that's thank you for that. Uh, great ending. I think Guatemala needs you back in the public square uh, <laughs> after listening to you uh, for years. But now even here, uh, yeah, I can feel the passion and the energy you have for freedom, for liberty, for your country, for the people and of Guatemala. And your God. Yes. And, and, that's, and that's why we do what we do, right? Everything yes. done for him and, and, and with his help and his will. You uh, see, Jason, one last thing I'd like to say. People, all politicians forget that this world is temporary. We are in this planet for a short period of time. So whatever we do here, whatever money we have, whatever we do, we're not going to take it with us when we leave. So being corrupt and being being, uh, rotten and, and, and a thief and bad person, everything, you're going to pay for everything you've done here when you leave. So do the right thing. Amen to that. That's my point of view. Amen to that. Well, with that, Betty, it's been a pleasure. This is our fourth. We're recording this on the Independence Day weekend. So uh, happy Independence Day, even though it's not your Independence Day. Uh, We want to share the American story with everybody, especially our friends in Guatemala and the Western Hemisphere. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Oh, we love the U.S. We eat hamburgers on the 4th of July. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Good talking to you, Betty. Take care. Likewise, Jason. Take care. Thank you.